You are listening to the Wisdom of Wealth podcast. My name is Ryan Haley. And my name is Kyle Kempers. Whether you're at the top of your game or you're just getting started, we are here to add as much value as we possibly can to your financial education. If you want to find out more, head on over to wisdomofwealth.co. Well, welcome, Wisdom of Wealthies. Good to good to see you guys. Yes, this is uh, you know something that we have been having fun talking about the last couple episodes, and uh, we're going to continue today with our series on tax planning and some uh, niche strategies and benefits. And uh, Kyle, you and I were just talking before we recorded about you know uh, all kinds of different ways we can do this, but we had mentioned in our last episode that uh, we we kind of hit this bonus depreciation. I actually just heard recently that that there may potentially be the opportunity to continue to have that bonus depreciation at 100% for next year. I don't know. That's literally just came through in the last couple of days. So do some research on that. But as we know now, that is, you know, as of today, the 100% bonus depreciation is only going to be available through the end of this year. But just do some research and keep your ears out in case that might be changing. There are a lot of potential changes coming up with the tax code. But here's one we're going to talk about today that we know is deeply embedded. It's not going to be uh, anything that changes anytime soon. In fact, we just recently had a major, uh, very favorable revision in the last year in all this stuff. And so we're going to talk about something that I think we have mentioned at various times throughout these different episodes. Uh, we're going to assume at this point that you're familiar with IBC, the infinite banking concept, privatized banking, whatever you want to call it, which is just using cash value in a very specialized structure of a permanent life insurance policy as a way to uh, grow tax-exempt wealth inside the policy and then deploy that into multiple different places at the same time, picking up additional tax benefits and returns and getting a potential deduction on the policy loan interest. We also want to get into the weeds today. So we, we don't want to just stay high level and conceptualize the idea of using IBC for XYZ purposes. Um, today, we really want to get into some case studies. So we're going to talk about some practical usages and the numbers behind it and where the interest is going and what it's actually doing for us, uh, especially as it uh, pertains to taxes. We're going to get into that as well. So um, Ryan, I know that you've got a good case study. And we've talked a little bit about it. Could you kind of tee us up for how you got into the position you were in? And then let's just dive into the numbers. Yeah. So the idea here is that you use as many, you use $1 in as many places as you can at the same time, tax efficiently on multiple levels. And uh, we had briefly mentioned this, you know, very quickly in a previous episode. But again, if, if you need to go back, if you're not familiar with IBC, Please go back, listen to those episodes, come back to this one, because we are going to just dive right in. This can be short but sweet, right. really, you know, um, getting to the numbers and the points. But um, as I had shared before, my first experience with uh, IBC was in using, before I even knew what it was, uh, I had start, my dad had gotten me started with a life insurance policy when I was 24 years old. And just for me at the time, it was 200 bucks a month automatically coming out of my checking account for years. I totally forgot about it. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward 13 years later, I've got $40,000 of cash value in that policy. And I needed to come up with about 40000 to buy a investment property in 2017. And I've mentioned this before, but to kind of trace the 
how the dollar moved through multiple assets and and especially bringing it back to the tax benefits. In this example, it started off with coming out of my checking account into the policy, right? Now in that policy, it's growing tax-free if you structure it correctly. And then the other thing is, so not only am I getting this, you know, very safe, continuous tax-exempt compounding in the policy, I'm also now able to extract tax-free liquidity from that policy by taking a loan because loans are never considered taxable income unless the policy is a MEC, and we've already talked about that before. So assuming it's structured correctly within IRS guidelines, the growth in the policy is tax-exempt. If you take a loan, in this, in this case I did to uh, help buy an investment property, then because it's a loan, that is not considered taxable income, even if I had gains in the policy, which I certainly did by that point. Then that goes into, in this case, a real estate investment property, which gets me additional tax benefits with depreciation. And I'm also able to deduct the cost of that policy loan interest. And that is, you know, definitely, and we'll make this caveat again, you know, as we have before, we're not CPAs, tax attorneys, you know, please consult the appropriate professional. This is how, just, just my personal experience and what I was told by my tax preparer looking at the tax code. But, uh, because this was considered a qualified business or investment expense, that policy loan interest was also tax deductible. So now I'm getting my money's working tax exempt in the policy. I'm getting tax free liquidity from the loan. I'm getting a policy loan interest deduction. And um, I'm now making money in that rental property from the cash flow and eventually the sale and getting depreciation and these additional benefits in there, right? So that's you know, just to recap, we've got two places that dollar's working now. It's working in the policy. It's now working in that property. Now, I sold that property, and uh, that was not a tax-exempt sale. I was going to do a 1031 exchange. I'm not going to get into that, but I chose not to. Uh, luckily, just to throw another tax benefit in there, uh, I had lost a significant amount of money from a property that I owned uh, from 2006 to 2012. And in this case, it just happened to work out that I had enough net operating losses or passive activity losses that I was, they'd, they'd stayed there, you know, I hadn't used them. They'd been just basically sitting uh, for, you know, over a decade at this point. Well, luckily, because my tax preparer and I sent her this information and she looked at it, she's like, oh, basically all those losses you had from 2008, not that I'm saying that that was necessarily a good thing, but at least there's a silver lining that basically wiped out pretty much all of my capital gain from selling that property. So if you're looking, a lot of people might be looking at selling highly appreciated assets now. Ask your tax professional, do I have anything even from decades prior possibly mm. that could be carried forward to offset any significant capital gains or taxable, otherwise taxable income? In my case, it was. So I didn't have to do the 1031 exchange. We could do a separate episode on how that works. So basically didn't end up paying any um, taxes on the sale of that property. Now I used that money from the sale of that property in 2020 to buy a vehicle. And I paid about $20,000 for that vehicle in February of 2020. And as we all know, since then, this is one of the, ver maybe the only time in history that a car or a vehicle has become an appreciating asset because of supply chain shortages and all that stuff that's going on. Then I, as I became familiar with how we can effectively use money in multiple places at the same time, I was familiar with the cash out refinance loan from a property, a HELOC. I was like, 
I wonder if there's a way I could do that with my car. I own this car right now. It's appreciated. I don't want to sell it because then I'm going to have to buy another car and pay more. I wonder if I could do the same thing. So I just did a Google search and sure enough, I found out uh, you can indeed, with certain lenders, do a cash out refinance loan. If you own a car, which I did, I owned that car cash. And so uh, earlier this year, I was able to get a check for a 125% loan to value of that vehicle, which it also appreciated. So bought it for $20,000 in 2020, two and a half years later, I now get a check, again, tax-free, because it is a loan, it's not considered taxable income, for $33,000. So again, very rare situation where not only car appreciated, but I'm also getting 125% loan to value. And if in case you're wondering, in this particular case, it was a PenFed credit union loan, if you can want to look them up. Um, and I, at the time, I got a sweet deal on the interest rate. It's 3.39% fixed six-year interest rate, which now we know is a fantastic deal with interest rates having gone up a lot. So that's a third place the money's working very tax efficiently, right? It was in the policy. Then it went to the property. Then I bought that car with that property, got the tax-free cash-out refinance loan for a lot more than I paid for it. Then I took that money from the car, uh, the check I got from the cash-out refi in the car, put that into another policy, and we've already talked about how that works, <laughs> borrowed money from that policy, put it into a brokerage account where I'm also using a form of leverage. That's a very complex thing we could go into later. I'm not going to go into all those details, but essentially using this concept of borrowing against assets tax efficiently and being able to put my money in another place. Then I borrowed from that and just actually invested in one of those uh, CETA deals we talked about earlier, which mm -hmm. uh, for me is a great deal this year. And we talked about, you know, the 100% bonus depreciation, all that stuff. So at this point, now I have basically five places, I think, started in the original policy. Oh, well, there's a couple more because you're, you're saying when you say policy, you say one, but you're actually doing two. Because you are effectively purchasing life insurance that get, that affords you a death benefit, and you're earning interest on the cash value. So your one is the earned interest on the cash value, right? But there is a liquidity event at the time of your death that we're also we should add in. That's a good point. And then when you're tax-free liquidity event, right? When you're borrowing protected. against it, you're uh, that's the second form is the the having the liquidity. So it's, there's really three inside of that policy there. Because when you borrow against it, you're getting a loan that's giving you tax there that's getting that's interest upon that loan you can write off. So there's your tax mm -hmm. uh, there's a tax benefit there. So now at that point you've only that's already three. So you've already hit three purchase of life insurance, the earned interest inside of the cash value continues to earn while you borrow against it, and you've got the write off of the tax on the uh, uh, against the interest on the loan yeah. against the policy. And so, and so if I think you were at three at that point. So and I'll go even one better because into. what I didn't mention is that when I sold that property, not only did I buy that car, but I, I now realized I needed to understand how infinite banking worked. And that's how I got connected with what we're doing now. So I also did, uh, I told you I did not do a 1031 exchange for real estate, but what I did do was what's called a 1035 exchange, which is the same thing just with life insurance. It's a tax-free exchange of like-kind property. So I took a, this policy that I started, you know, at 24, my dad, you know, uh, set me up with and then was able to do a 1035 tax-free exchange from that into a much better structured policy that specifically is structured with, you know, this whole uh, concept of Infinite using banking in mind. The, exactly. Right. And so that was yet another tax-free 
exchange that happened from that older policy that I had <laughs> built up. And now I've got this, uh, you know, that policy. And since then, in the last just this year, I bought another policy. So we've got, uh, I think now, six assets that this $1 has run through. Mm-hmm. And of course, I added to it as well. It's not, But you could say one of those dollars has now gone through this. And as you astutely just pointed out, Kyle, now uh, within each of those assets, there may be multiple benefits too. So like you right. said, you're getting right. the tax-free death benefit, that liquidity event that pays off all the loan, even if you haven't repaid any of that. You're earning compound tax-free you know, free, uninterrupted interest in the policy at the same time taking a tax-free liquidity event through the loan that can potentially then get you a d- deduction on that policy loan interest, putting it into another asset, whether that's real estate, a syndication, <laughs> a car in this case, or right. anything else. And you know, you may or may not be able to get a tax deduction. If it's personal expenses, that's not deductible. But again, this is where a nuanced you know, CPA conversation kind of needs to come into play. But you're not only have I have one dollar in five or six assets, but in each of those assets, there may be multiple benefits that are happening with additional tax efficiency. To the, I'm speechless. <laughs> I, I know we dropped a lot on you. Three words. There's so <laughs> there's so much in that. Uh, I, I do want to make one note real quick that that growth inside the policy is not technically tax free. It's technically tax deferred. But since we don't access it through the form of withdrawals, we access it through loans against the growth in the exactly. policy. We don't pay those taxes. Exactly. And, and so the, the, you can even take withdrawals up to basis tax free but not above that. But Correct. again, Correct. withdrawals don't make as much sense in this model because then you're draining the amount of money that's earning compound interest. So at some point, we maybe it makes... keep that top dollar high. Right. right. So like by continually only taking uh, loans instead of withdrawals, you're never reducing the value of the cash value that's earning that entire compound interest, which is another thing that's very different. If you get you know several million dollars in a 401k or IRA or something like that, that's great. But the only way you can access that money in a qualified plan, you cannot borrow against it. So you have to, when you start taking distributions and benefiting from that liquidity and cash flow, you're draining down right. that account, which is now you've got less money earning money, right? And so the whole idea is, yes, you can take withdrawals up to basis tax-free from a policy, but generally speaking, as long as you're earning more inside the policy than what you're paying on the loan interest, why would you ever want to do that? Right. We want access to both. We just right. want both and we don't want to do one or the other. Um, I'm trying to think of questions that someone might be might be asking currently right now while they're listening to this and how this fits into their plan. Maybe um, one would be, is there any situation in which this would not have these tax advantages, particularly for the policy? Great question. So the answer is, yes, that is possible. And that would be a huge unforced error uh, if you... So again... As we've said before, the way these policies are structured is absolutely critical. You need to structure them specifically for your goals in mind, your specific situation. And the vast majority of the time, we always want to be designing these is what's called a non-MEC, a non-modified endowment contract. Because if you, back in the 80s, the IRS started to get wise to the fact that very uh, high net worth wealthy individuals were essentially using these life insurance policies as just basically a tax shelter for investments. So they said, okay, so they would be paying for minimal death benefit and just dumping an unbelievable amount right. into like it. a percent of their money was going right. in like 1%, 99% right. is going into cash value. 
and they started to regulate those ratios. Right. So that ratio is critical because they say in order for this to continue to qualify as life insurance and get that uh, favorable tax treatment, then you need to have a certain ratio between how much death benefit you're buying and how much cash value you're putting in. And so uh, that's a complex formula, but it's pretty easy to run on an illustration. Um, so you want to make sure that uh, if you're doing this and you're talking to somebody, make sure that you know that this is a non-MEC because if it's a modified endowment contract, a, most of those tax benefits, not all, but most are lost. If you're a nonprofit and you don't pay taxes anyways, then maybe this could be, that would be maybe the one example I can think of where that could be a viable strategy. And even then, there are some nuances you need to think about unrelated business taxable income, you know, uh, UBTI or UBIT. But other than that, let's just assume if you're an individual listening to this, let's just assume you need to make sure, confirm with your agent, read the paperwork and make sure this is not a modified endowment contract. If that's the case, then you shouldn't have to deal with any of these tax issues. And that you've maximized the potential with those ratios. So I, I had another conversation last week with an individual, this happens often, where the, the client's in conversation with, a, with another insurance agent who's claiming that they're building him an IBC policy and they're using terminology out of context. And when looking at the policy itself, we're not looking at an infinite banking policy. We're looking at the cash value that's growing because it's the same chassis, it's operating in a similar way, but that individual is not gonna have access to that cash value until much later on in life. And so there's a reason why you 1035 exchanged your cash out of the policy you had before, because not all policies are created equal. Right. And also not all carriers have benefits designed and catering to the specific strategy. So even with the other insurance agent, um, she may have the best of intentions to getting him set up on the policy to designing it in a way that has an IBC mindset behind how she's doing it. She's non-mecking it, all of the above, like understands the terminology. But then when looking at those loans the dis- to take the distribution against that, the, the cash value, the interest rate on those loans didn't make it make any sense right so there's there, there are a lot of nuances to it and i i would encourage whoever's listening to to do your homework and 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 understand how you need these to be built before just diving into building a policy with a good friend of yours who does insurance or the current life insurance agents that your family's been using or that you've been using and really asking the right questions um because you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're 1035ing. I think it's a great opportunity. Right. If you already have something in place, I think right. you should look into it. Right. Um, but you don't want to build something today that could be structured correctly, uh, be incorrectly, being structured incorrectly because you didn't ask the right questions. Right. And so the idea is that you want to get, uh, in most cases, and again, there's a lot of nuances and that's another thing that it needs to be very specifically structured to you, your specific situation, et cetera. This, this does, and, and what you're saying is, uh, that's correct, changes per person, per right. scenario. But a lot of variables, but in general, what you want to do is get just under, as close as you can, but just under that modified endowment contract or MEC limit so that you retain all the tax uh, benefits, but you've got the most efficient policy because the opposite end of the spectrum is if you make it too efficient, you bust the MEC limit, you've lost uh, most of the tax benefits. If you make it inefficient and don't structure this to maximize cash value, then yeah, okay, you're never gonna have a problem with the MEC, but you probably have a lot less initial access to cash value and the growth rate over time you know, may not be sufficient to meet your goals and make these strategies work. So you know, the sweet spot 
is kind of just getting right underneath that mech limit, right. but making sure that you don't bust it. And then you've got the, the kind of the best of all worlds, right? So again, there's a lot of nuances of this that we're not going to go into now, but that is, you know, that is an important thing to know. Another important thing that could affect taxes with these policies is, you know, sometimes you can get away, especially with an index universal life or IUL policy, it's a lot more flexible than whole life, and that's great. But if you're not careful, you can get yourself into a bad situation where, you, you know, you have a lot of rope to hang yourself with. And this comes back to the overall design of the policy and the big picture strategy you're trying to execute. Right. But if you were to um, continually borrow against that cash value over time, never repay any of the interest or the loan, and eventually, with especially an IUL, if the um, interest builds up to the point where it exceeds the cash value and that loan um, exceeds what's available in that cash value, then it could cause the policy to lapse. And that is a pretty catastrophic tax situation. Again, completely unforced error that you should never run into if you're looking at this with the right mentality from the start. But in those cases, not only uh, have you lapsed the policy, but now you have a hyper-concentrated taxation event where any gains now come due and payable all in one single year. So again, big things with the policy, don't have a mech, and even if it's not a mech, don't continue to drain the cash value with loans and you know rolling the interest back into the loan, which you can do, uh, but you right. don't want to get to the point where it causes the policy to lapse because now you will have... A, uh, a very bad tax situation. So easy to avoid if you know what you're doing on the front end. But as long as you have those things, and most importantly, I think the agent and professional you're working with yep. is understanding these things, then this will allow everything we just talked about. And at the end of the day, I mean, it comes back to what you just said a few minutes ago. We're trying to capitalize on the dollar that we have by by putting it into motion as many times as possible. And we're not trying to over leverage ourselves. We talked about this on a on a podcast that we recorded recently that'll be released here in a couple of weeks that your understanding dictates how far you can go with your risk. Yes. And and the more risk you're able to take is is really measured by understanding. And that's why it really is important to do your homework on some of this stuff. And as much as as much as we'd like to cut corners and find someone who understands it and just hand the reins over to them, like even for myself, when I work with clients, I, I highly encourage them to go back and research and look and ask the right questions because how they understand it as well directly affects how they use it. Yes. And so it could be like getting in the car and sitting, you know, in the driver's seat with a NASCAR driver next to you. And that individual can give you advice. But if you punch the gas too hard on a corner and you just slam into a pole on the other side, you could have had the pro of all pros sitting next to you, giving you fantastic advice and still find yourself in an an untimely situation or scenario. So, um, yeah, one thing I do want to just really quick, you mentioned it earlier and this it, this is just about debt in general is that if you are not using debt to create wealth by definition it will destroy wealth and so when we're talking about borrowing especially if you're doing what I did which I you know ran one dollar through five or six assets and doing all these things that only works if the interest rate that you're earning is higher than the interest that you're paying. So the the numbers are important, right? You wanna be earning more inside the policy on average over long-term than what you're paying on the loan. In my case, you know, by borrowing against that car, if I'm gonna use that money, I'm not gonna just do that for personal consumption. Even at 3.39%, a fantastic interest rate, yeah, I'm beating inflation, but I am only using any of these things to build wealth. I'm not using it for personal consumption. Now, over time, when you do this long enough, you can absolutely use this. But in the meantime, you know, never borrow or use debt 
that's not used to create wealth on a net basis, you know, including taxes and everything else we talked about. And that's important because, as we know, interest rates have skyrocketed recently. And so those details are super important. So, again, there's a lot of nuances. We're just trying to provide kind of a, a fairly high-level overview with some specifics today. We can go into more details in case studies later. But the way the policy is structured, the way that the overall you know, life plan, if you will, is structured and making sure that those details of how much interest you're earning versus what you're paying, what's deductible, what's not, all those things are really important. And that's why you really need to work with someone who specializes in this full time. It's not a, it's not something that you can really do, a, you know, kind of moonlighting or halftime. It's something that you need to have uh, personally as a client and policyholder. A good, like you said, there's a personal responsibility aspect to know a certain amount. And then you really need to at least know what questions to ask the agent or the professional on the team you're working with, because those things are all really important. But when they're done right, with all the assumptions we've given, this is what can truly accelerate your um, your wealth at a level that would not otherwise be possible because now if you do this correctly and you and also risk management is important besides all these other things you just need to uh, you know make sure that and every step of the way this is working to your benefit and not against you and if you do that then you can ex accelerate your wealth exponentially and with that being said I want to plug your your case study real fast there was two things that you said the yeah, there was you built two policies in your case study. As we were walking through it, you built the one that you 1035'd into, and then you ran the capital into the investment property. You borrowed against the investment property to build another one, um, and you were able to loan against your car as well mm -hmm. to, to build that second policy. So if you're listening to this and you're saying, how do I learn how to do this and get multiple policies into play so that I can get access to those tax-deferred gains inside the policy and borrow against that er those earnings to be able to get into more investments, which are all the correct questions to be asking, then I would encourage you to reach out to Ryan or, or myself and get a hold of us. You can look us up through the, the website and uh, we put the link in the show notes. Um, but reach out, start a conversation and then take what we give you and you can balance it against uh, the information that is at hand as far as the education goes and as well as if you need to shop around and find other individuals. Uh, we're not threatened by <laughs> doing it that way and we even encourage it. So um, please reach out to us um, and we'll start that conversation with you sooner than later. Yeah, so you can go to wisdomofwealth.co and you can just uh, find all kinds of ways to uh, link up with us or our team and other people. And like you said, you know, take the time and effort on the front end to do your due diligence, look into it. It will be well worth it, but it's super important. So I know we threw a lot at you today. We're going to follow up with more stuff in the future, but hopefully that gives you just some more ideas of what you can be doing, especially towards this end of your tax planning. So we look forward to uh, hearing from you guys and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Hopefully what we shared was valuable, whether it encouraged you or challenged you. Our goal is to equip you to make better financial decisions. So engage with us at wisdomofwealth.co. We want to connect with you and continue the conversation. Make an appointment today. Ryan, myself, or anyone else from the Wisdom of Wealth team would love to meet with you. We look forward to talking more. And again, that's wisdomofwealth.co. See you on the next episode.